Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Today we're going to talk to a bloke who I've had a few beers with over the years. Laurie Keane was the first West Coast Eagle to kick a goal in the then expanded VFL competition against Richmond at Subiaco Oval in 1987. Of course, he was always a, uh, also a very talented ruckman, a very talented forward, and unfortunately had a career stymied by um, Achilles heel issues. Laurie, welcome to the interview. Thanks, Mark. Thanks very much. Thanks for those nice words. Mate, um, how is the heel, by the way? Because it was uh, the problem that brought your career to a premature end. Yeah, no, it's fine. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, it took a couple of years to, to heal after I retired. Probably just rest was the thing that it needed, whereas at the time we we meddled with it too much and, um, yeah, it was pretty soul-destroying at the time. But, no, it's fine these days. Thank you. So let's go back all the way to beginning. You you, you grew up at, at Karanup, which would have been in Subiaco zone at the time. Yeah, Carnup Junior Footy Club. I played all my juniors there, and um, we were in this um, the Subi zone. And um, I was about eleven. I was I was a good junior, a successful junior, and um, I was showing a lot of promise. And I think um, at the time, my family moved from State Housing Commission homes in Subiaco up to another in in Carinup, I beg your pardon, to another part of Carinup, which was zoned Claremont, and I think it was Basil Fuller and Bill Francis at the time thought that if I go on with it, it'd be a shame to lose me. So they named me in the thirds in the in the Daily News, I think it was then, named me in the thirds, and um, which of course I never went there because I was only eleven or twelve. But they just named me in the paper, and that and that was enough to um, that was enough to get a, a transfer or to deem me um, a super player for life. Should I should I be good enough to play um, senior footy, which of course it was. So, I would, so ima- uh, was a- I would imagine your name would have been on the team sheet as well, that the old team sheet that they used to fill out, um, probably next yeah. to next to some number as well. So you might be the youngest player ever to officially participate in a Colts game, even if you weren't even there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. I think it was. I think it was wasn't the only time it was done. It wasn't didn't happen very often, but it was obviously pretty important moment for me. Otherwise, it would have been a Claremont player and probably playing reserves <laughs> because of Graham Moss and whoever else. But um, uh, I, I didn't think it was going to come to anything. Um, and um, it showed a lot of forethought, foresight by um, Basil, and, um, who's still at the footy club, I my add, as a, as a volunteer. And uh, I think the late Bill Francis, yeah. Were you always tall, Laurie? Uh, I was then. Um, Sort of 11, 12, 13, 14, I was tall, 15. And then I was 
puberty forgot all about me for a few years and everyone shot past me. <laughs> and I ended up giving away footy at the 16 years of age and 17 years of age. I didn't play any football because everybody was uh, twice my size. You know, not twice my size, but quite big and mature and strong and dating girls and all the rest of it. And I was still, I was still this prepubescent boy, I think, so I didn't play any footy. So, and that, but then I shot up late and passed all those same guys and, uh, of course, finished up as tall as I am now. You were rangy too. Well, but back in those days, probably skinny would have been the best way to describe you. How did you, uh, how did you beef yourself up and get strong enough to, to compete when you, when you went to Subiaco? Yeah, I, I hadn't done any weights until I got to Subi and I played Colts. I had one year at Inaloo, so I'm, I'm a bulldog for life apparently, but I had one year at Inaloo Colts and then I went to Subi and played Subi Colts and won the medalist medal. And I was very skinny, tall and skinny, and that was a guy called Brian James at the time. And he took me under his wing and I did weights for the first time summer of 1980, 81, yeah. And um, that's when I fell in love with doing weights and, you know, I was... I was skinny, but I had broad shoulders, so I had a bit of work. I had a good frame to work on, and I got into my weights, and it took me quite a few years to um, build up to a decent size. Probably the, the weights program at the Eagles really, really was very effective, actually. Other sports? Did you obviously being tall? Were you drawn to basketball at all? No, I, I Scarborough High. I, I went to Scarborough High, and we didn't really have basketball courts there. I think we had. Old bitumen ones that I snuck off to to have a cigarette, <laughs> um, and they built the, and they built the gymnasium, indoor gymnasium sort of thing, right at the end of my tenure at school there. So I never, I never got exposed to basketball. I always wish I had it because I was tall and and I was reasonably agile. So it was just something that um, I didn't get exposed to. Played a little bit of cricket one year, but surf life dating. I was, I was no good at anything actually, except footy was my only thing that I was okay at. So you always had good skills for a man your size, and that was one of the hallmarks of your game. Where did that come from? Yeah, no idea. Um, I don't know. I mean, my dad, my dad Rod was you know, a goodish footballer. Um, Mum wasn't wasn't an athlete. No, I don't know. Just I never, certainly never practiced it or anything like that. Um, I, I did like didn't mind the ball on the ground. Um, I would have liked to have been a stronger mark, but um, yeah, I was always reasonably agile and sort of quickish over short distance, but didn't really have any endurance until I developed that a lot later. But um, yeah, I don't know, Mark. It's just one of those things. You mentioned winning the medalist medal. Um, how did you go playing Colts at Subiaco? Yeah, terrific. Um, I really enjoyed it. I played under a bloke called Bob Beeman, who also coached me at um, Caranup and. Um, we had a good side, and we made the finals and lost the prelim, I think it was. So, um, yeah, and then I won the I won the Colts medal, um, which didn't even know it existed, and I was fortunate enough to go to the Parmelia and receive the award. I was on a table with Jared McNeil, who won the medalist, and I think Stephen Michael won the Sandover that year, so that would have been 1980. So it was all very thrilling for a... I didn't really have aspirations to play league football. I just enjoyed playing Colts, and then... Um, yeah, next year after that, I played seniors in 1981. So it all happened rather rather quickly. Do you remember your senior debut? Who was it against and where was it at? Oh, it was hideous. I played against East Fremantle round one. 
I was rucking off the bench with David Court and I had zero marks, zero kicks and zero handballs and never got on the field after half time, which was expect which was totally expected. Ken Armstrong benched me for the rest of the game and I came in the I was actually sitting there hoping we'd lose. <laughs> I was so so annoyed. But um, no, we won and um I think Mick Johns went into the ruck and David Court did really well at Senar Ford and we won and I just went into the change rooms and grabbed my bag, didn't have a share and went home. I was just such a, a bloody sook, you know. I just couldn't, I just thought, oh, bugger this league football because I knew I'd be playing reserves the next week, which I was. <laughs> but anyway, I bounced back after a few games in the reserves and got my mojo, yeah. So what year did Button arrive back at Subiaco, Laurie? 84. Yep. Yeah, 1984, he came back over from South Australia and coached us to, I think we won two, three, four, so nine games in that first year and just missed out in the finals. And then in 85, of course, we made the grand final and lost to East Fremantle. In 86, we played East Fremantle again in the grand final and won. So he turned it around in, in three quick years. He was a fantastic coach. Was the feeling when, because Button was a household name at Subiaco, obviously, um, between him and his father, did, was there a feeling that um, that things would be on the turn when he arrived? Was there? Did it change the mood of the club? Because things were pretty bleak back in those days for Subi. It's, it's hard to believe now, given their finances now compared to other waffle clubs, but they, they almost went broke and had to have the other waffle clubs um, help to save them. Indeed. We were a very poor club, and it was... It was... Kevin Merrifield that helped turn the club around and then after him, Michael Carlisle as our as our presidents and general managers, those type of roles. And um, yeah, we, we were a real struggling club. We had Ken Armstrong for a couple of years and I really, really liked Ken Armstrong as a coach. And um, and then we, um, he, he lost his job and then we got Peter Daniel from Tasmania and that was unsuccessful. And Brian Fairclough succeeded him till the end of the season. And then... Um, to him, and then yeah, and then and then when Hayden got the job, it was just it was just the club fortunes changed and our, our expectations changed, and he was he was held in high regard. He was a much esteemed figure. So uh, and and his coaching methods, we just responded to his coaching methods magnificently. He was really tough, and uh, he toughened us up and got rid of players that he thought weren't going to get us there, and um, and um, yeah, he turned the club around and. As well as you know, getting people like Trevor Nisbet as footy manager and Wayne Loxley and George Young around the place, all these type of guys help build a real, real good club, and um, things change for us for sure. We'll come back to talk about the golden years at Subiaco, but we'll take a break now. This is inspiring sports stories thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Yes, and this is Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Laurie Keane, the former Subiaco and West Coast Ruckman. Uh, uh, a, a trailblazer, I think, when West Coast uh, first started off in the VFL competition and certainly a very, very fine player for Subiaco back in the Lions' golden era back in the late 80s. Laurie, through the mid-80s, Hayden Button has arrived. At what point did you start to realise that Subiaco had a quality team capable of contending? 
Uh, well, in 84, his first year, we won, I think, two goals, two games in the first round, and then three in the second, and then four in the third. So there was a slight, you know, it was an upward trajectory, and we won nine games and just missed out on the final. So at the end of that season, we could we sensed that there was something was building, and um, I don't know, can't remember which players left at the end of 84, and who, I think Phil Scott might have walked in somewhere around then. And... Um, as well as others, uh, they recruited well. We pulled a couple of players from around Australia. Rod Willett came from Queensland, and they managed. You know, Ian Dargie walked through the door, and different players got recruited. And um, but it was mostly local product, and you could just sense that things '85 was going to be a good year. I think Michael Crutchfield might have came across from over east as well. Became a very fine defender for you. Yes, I think he came to us via East Perth. Um, so. You know, we and, and Kevin Sparks, we didn't have a lot of hard-nosed players at Subi at that time, so we needed a little bit of grunt, and, you know, Kevin Sparks helped there. Um, and uh, Crutchy was, no, you know, was to be honest with. I think Greg Wilkinson, those type of guys, came from amateurs. It was a real, real, like all footy clubs, you know, you get them from anywhere, and you, and we had some good recruiting people around Australia, I think. You mentioned Phil Scott's arrival. He became a very good ruckman and a different type of ruckman uh, to to the one you were. So, what did that mean for your role in the team? Well, in eighty, he must have come over in eighty four, and Bunt saw a hell of a future for Phil. And um, to my sh- my chagrin, to my chagrin, he he ended up rucking in eighty five, and and Hayden put me at full forward all year, which I didn't like, but I did. I think I kicked over 70 goals, so I guess it was a success. But and we lost the grand final in 85 to Eastern Man, and I played full forward on Colin Waterson, and he absolutely towed me up. Yep. So um, in 86, um, Phil hurt himself pre-season or early in the season. I went into the ruck and stayed there for the whole season. So we were different. He was shorter but had a fantastic leap and was a real classic cap ruckman. I was taller and skinnier and wasn't sort of um i was different to him i didn't have the leap that he had but i had the height so we, we and i was left-handed he was right-handed so we were a different different difficult combination i reckon to play on I, i'd like to think did it take time for you to develop the belief that you could challenge teams like eastern Mantle, who were the strong club at, at that stage given that subiaco had been in the doldrums for some time and had to almost prove to yourselves you could do it i think so i mean like i said there was a slight improvement all the year in 84, so there was an inner belief growing. I mean, I can't remember it too much from now, but looking back, but the results were there, and we just missed out on the four, top four, and then, of course, we made um, the grand final 85. So um, it was a rapid improvement. We didn't really have much time to think about it and dwell on the past. Um, we only had a small core of guys from sort of 81 that got to 86, like Neil and Brian Taylor and Clinton Brown and um, you know guys like that and myself and Dwayne Lamb. I don't think many more from '81 played in '85, '86. So it was a quite a high turnover of players, and um, Hayden was really responsible for most of that. You started to develop physically, and by 1986, you were not only a very good player in the waffle; you were also um, a state of origin player. How big a thrill was that? Oh, that was the biggest thrill of my life up till then, uh, sporting-wise, playing in 80, 1986 State of Origin game, Tuesday afternoon, 
against the Victorians. Um, you know, Ron Alexander was coach. It was, you know, uh, Andrew McNish took that specky and and um, who, who kicked that goal in the last, I think it was I think, Wally or somebody. No, I, I think ba- Bacchanara from the pocket, I think it was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, Gary Bacchanara, of course he did. Yes, I was getting mixed up with the South Australia game. Yeah, yeah, Gary Bacchanara kicked the winning goal and we beat the Victorians, which was just unreal. And um, we'd beaten, already beaten South Australia at Football Park. So um, we were the Australasian champions, and um, Andrew McNish and myself got all Australian. It was just, it was just enormous. It was just fantastic. You know, Peaky kicked seven, playing with Morris Rioli and you know, Gary Buckenauer, and all those guys coming back from Victoria was just spectacular. It was just, it was just a, such a thrill. Because the waffle was still a big competition back in those days, wasn't it? And it would be hard for. Uh, young people of today to identify with, but basically you were the big dogs of of winter sport in in WA. If you were a, if you were a gun waffle player back in those days, I guess so. We were, it was also the Wildcats were coming into their own, so we were sort of hitting our straps. Oh, that was Eagles. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Wildcats were were getting dominant. Um, we're starting to, you know, and always the cricket and all the rest of it. But as far as winter sport, yeah, footy was it, and. Um, and it was, a, it was a great competition, but so many of our players were going to Victoria at the end of every year. And, um, you know, something had to be done. And Bill Mitchell and various people, um, you know, wrote a paper to, I think it was um, Dick, um, I can't remember his name now. Richard Collis. From Sydney Swan. Yeah, Richard Collis, of course. You know, they prepared a paper to um, say that the competition needed the AFL, the VFL back then needed expanding. Western Australia could field the team, and um, it all came together very, very quickly at the end of '86. So, um, but yeah, the waffle was a great competition, but we were just losing the exodus of players to Victoria every year was just alarming, and so something needed to be done to try and stop that. And um, I guess it worked. Did you have any interest from interstate clubs, or was it always going to be the West Coast Eagles for you, Laurie? No, in '86 I was being. Um, wined and dined by the Sydney Swans. Um, yeah, they were very passionate. A bloke called Ron Thomas would come across and watch me play a couple of times. And he came over to the grand final and watched the grand final. And um, and we had no, there was no such thing as footy managers back then or mobile phones. And they were real keen to sign me. And I just represented myself and saw what they had to offer and I was slightly disappointed. You try and get a feel as to what you might be worth in the market, which was difficult. And I remember being slightly disappointed with what they offer. And then it was Graham Moss that was running around at the time recruiting for this new team that they promised to, to form. And, you know, there was no name, no no jumper, no colours, no nothing. And he was running around trying to sign up players before they signed to Victorian clubs. And, of course, blokes like Nicky Winmar and Peter Wilson and Mark Bairstow, they all took off to Victoria. And... Um, when Graham signed me, he offered, he told me that Ross Glendinning had, was coming back from Victoria and he was going to be the captain. I thought, oh, that's fantastic, you know. And he offered me nearly twice as much as Sydney Swans. So um, I ended up sign, signing on the bonnet of car, I think. <laughs> so yeah, pretty keen to... what sort of money Sorry. were you paid to join the West Coast Eagles? I think was, my package was about 60 if you know, if I played most of the games, which yep. was... Pretty, which was, you know, which is Sydney offered about thirty grand, and I was offered sixty, which was huge money back then because, um, you know, I was still we were all working. I was a full time surveyor, and um, 
and to be offered that sort of money after you know what you used to receive in the Waffle Club at Subiaco was was huge. And um, apparently, I was the first player to sign, even though they had told me they'd signed Ross Glinding. Ross Glinding he had actually put pen to paper at that stage, so I was you know I was more than happy to sign up. And um, my wife was pregnant at the time, so you know it was made a lot of sense to stay home and have my first child and stay stay in Florida. Yeah. We'll take a break there and we'll come back to go through those early days at the West Coast Eagles. We're talking to Laurie Keane, pioneering West Coast Eagles ruckman and forward and uh, Subiaco Premiership ruckman as well. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Laurie Keane, former Subiaco Premiership Ruckman and West Coast Eagles star from the early days of the expanded VFL, which, of course, was the genesis of the AFL. Laurie, you've spent the summer training, 86, 87, and uh, massive day, Subiaco Oval, round one, 1987, and West Coast Eagles play Richmond. What do you remember about that day? Um, probably, well, it was a hot day. I remember that. And then I remember at half time we were well down. I remember sitting in the change rooms looking at all the, the worried look faces of the directors and um, the other power brokers that were in the change rooms at the time and thinking, God, this is... This, VFL's a bloody hard, hard, hard game to play, and um, I was rocking against Mark Lee, and you know he was the general, so he was a tough opponent. Um, and they were a good side, Richmond. I mean, even Peter Wilson was playing for Richmond then, and Morris Rioli, and oh, they had some great players. And um, yeah, and and three quarter time we were still down, and then we just went ran over the top of them. Um, Chris Lewis was extraordinary for a young 17-year-old. And, um, you know, we just, the heat maybe got to Richmond a little bit and we were just full of running and the crowd got behind us and it was a fantastic victory. I remember that. You kicked the first goal in West Coast Eagles home and away history. Do you remember it? Only because I've seen it on TV a few times. Um, And I'm guilty. I have YouTubed it once or twice. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Steve Malaxis, I think Paul Pios got the first kick. Steve Malaxis put this amazing tackle on somebody roughly in the forward flank and the ball was free and I was about the place and I just ran past and scooped it up and strange sort of kick when you watch it. It sort of curved a fair bit, but Ross Glendinning was down there and I think he shepherded it through. But yeah, at the time, didn't think about it as being a momentous occasion because we'd, we'd actually played a few pre-season games. I think we won one or two of those and... Yeah, it was only sort of 10, 15 years afterwards that people started commenting about it. And, um, yeah, it's um quiz question these days. Quiz night question. <laughs> How tough a season was that first season, given you're bringing a new team together, you're getting used to travel regimes, and, and a few of the travel uh, schedules were pretty interesting back in those days. I think you went to Melbourne maybe two or three times in about seven days at one stage. Do you remember that being – when you see what they – consider ludicrous today do you remember some of those uh travel schedules they set for you yeah sure um it was difficult i remember having to stop in kalgoorlie on the way at one some stage for some reason the plane 
something to do with fuel or strikes or something. We had to stop in Cal for a while. Um, yeah, we quite often flew home the next morning. Um, we and we'd go out sort of win or lose. We'd sort of go out as a group and try and bond and have a few drinks and. Some ended up in nightclubs and stuff. And I remember flying back with half the team would be lying on the floor of the plane with ice packs to various parts of their body. And you know we didn't we didn't do anything very professionally back then. We shouldn't have been drinking after games with injuries, and but we did. And it took probably longer to recover from injuries than than they do now. But um, yeah, player management's much more professional now, much better. But yeah, the the, the travel routine was. But I, I quite enjoyed it. Every second week, it felt like you know, I felt like players trip you know I, I quite enjoyed hopping on a plane and sitting at the back with you know Alex Ashenko or Phil Scott or and um yeah lording it up in the back of the plane with a bit of leg room and um yeah I I, I can't remember having any any bad memories about traveling I, I quite enjoyed traveling and all those different grounds that we'd watched on the winners you know on 555 on a Sunday the play at Moorabbin and Western Oval and Windy Hill and all those places was a real experience and I really enjoyed it and fitting yourself against those players that you only 12 months ago held in awe and next minute you, you were trying to beat them and, and, and the Ruckman that is and um, yeah I, I really enjoyed it had got fond memories It was interesting expectations of the team wasn't it you won 11 games that season no other team in their first season has done as well as you and yet there was a feeling I guess Maybe from the hierarchy, maybe from the public, that you'd come up a bit short. What what was the feeling internally? Um, surprise when we heard that Ron had got the sack. Yeah, eleven games is terrific effort, and um, we we were surprised. Well, I was very surprised. Um, apparently, they'd made up their mind to replace him. I've heard from various sources that they'd already made up their mind to replace him before the end of the season. So. Um, and they obviously had John Todd in the back of their mind. You played some waffle footy in that 1988 season, didn't you, the home and away season, which enabled you to qualify for, for Subiaco for waffle finals? Well, that's right. My form wasn't great, and, and, and um, Alex's obviously was good at East Perth, and he took my spot, and I played, I think, five, five games. I got suspended maybe once or twice as well, so... There was a little bit of discipline there as well. Um, yeah, and I played five games for Subi Echo, which qualified me sort of to play finals for Subi. And I was lucky enough to fall into the, the 1988 Premiership side for Subi, which was which was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It's, it's one of the highlights of my footy career, that Premiership as well. So you played in the elimination final against Melbourne at Waverley, which obviously would have was the first final that West Coast ever played. You did all right too. Seventeen disposals, sixteen hitouts. Um, what do you remember about that game? Oh, I remember the disappointment of the, the that final. Um, that was in '88. Yeah. Yeah. Um, against. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, Murray Rensford missing that goal, which sort of haunted him for the rest of his career, which is a real shame because he was a terrific footballer and lovely bloke. Um, yeah, and you know he could have easily passed it to Ross Bendinning. It was clear, but he didn't. And he would normally kick that goal 99 times out of 100, but he just happened to miss that. And I think Gary Lyon may have sealed it up the other end. Um, yeah, and uh, it was we were still optimistic. We were pretty thrilled to to play in that final. 
Um, I think Melbourne got absolutely thumped by Hawthorne in the grand final. Maybe in fact they, that game, I remember did. it being. I remember that game being the best game of the finals as far as closeness. All the rest of them were blowouts. So we felt honoured to be part of a really important game, and um, we were very optimistic for '89, which of course was probably unfounded. And then when you went back to Subiaco, I mean, my memory of that Waffle Final Series is that you basically changed the course of it. You were uh, uh, very much by that stage an AFL standard ruckman playing in the Waffle competition, and and Subiaco went from underdogs against Claremont to uh, to taking the premiership away from them. That's right. Um, we had a good side, um, and I was luckily I hit some good form at the end of that season, as you said. So when I came back to Subia, I was super confident and super fresh. I had a bit of a spell prior to that, I think. And um, so yeah, we we played uh, um, Claremont. I think we played Claremont in the preliminary final. Yeah, and um, and they were the team that thumped Subi in the second semi. So we, no, I'm trying, I might be getting confused. I think, I think no, it might have been in the grand, Claremont in the grand final. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Grand final. We had Claremont in the grand final and they thumped us in the second semi final, which I didn't play. So we met East Fremantle in the preliminary final, I think. And um, I played in that and rubbed against Clinton Wolf and I had a good game. Um, Gary Kemp kicked the winning goal, which is fantastic, which got us, we, we just, sort of fell into the grand final and um, against Claremont, Jared Neesham's boys. So I was rocking against, you know, David O'Connell and Peter Higgins and um, I had Shane Cocker with me. So, yeah, it was just a great game and we, we belted them. And um, they were going the knuckle, if I remember rightly. Peter Malesso was cutting sick and a few others. And, um, yeah, it was a really satisfying win because we weren't favoured, you're right. And um, we really did a job on them. We'll take a break. And we'll come back to talk about injury and also more AFL finals. We're talking to Laurie Keane. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. And we're talking to Laurie Keane. And we've reached a point where the Eagles have narrowly lost an elimination final to Melbourne in 1988. Of course, it was a top five back then. So that was a pretty uh, impressive performance. Laurie, it didn't come together for the team in 1989, did it? No. That was the start of all my troubles as far as Injury, in fact, it was the start of the end for me, and um, it was it didn't go well for the team, and um, and that was and, and that was John Todd's second and final year, and um, it couldn't yeah the end couldn't come quick enough as, as far as I was concerned as well. Not not John Todd's end, but just the whole season, and uh, looking forward to 1990, and then yeah we got wind dogs down here actually, it was at Bill Mitchell's house in uh, towards Yelling up there, and I. He said, well, "How do we?" There was a couple. Of, he was entertaining a few of us, and he said, "Well, how do you feel about Mick Malthouse becoming your coach?" And we thought, "Oh no!" You know, we we we'd heard that he was a defensive coach. I didn't know anything about him really, except that he was a defensive coach, and that he might be coming over. And we were concerned that we might be going ultra defensive. But he was a great great coach, and he was the right man for the job. And um, as history proves. 
When did your heel problem start and how did it start? When did you first become aware of it? Oh, it all started from ill-fitting boots, trying to push through with a pair of boots that weren't the right fit. And I just thought, oh, you know, the old button analogy, tough it out sort of thing. And Yeah, and then um, I ended up getting bursitis and then we started sticking needles in that. That was the first mistake and I was my own worst enemy. I would push, lean on the club doctors to just jab and go and play and we should have managed it better. And over the course of time, I ended up having five operations on it and um, just destroyed me, really. And um, it, um, it was a horrible, horrible time in my life. And I probably don't have too many, too many good memories of that period. But um, yeah, I got to nine. I played in the final series of 90. That was, we, we had a good game against Melbourne. Um, I was on Jim Steins, the late Jim Steins. And Stephen O'Dwyer, and I remember having that was probably the best game I ever played. And the following week, we had Essendon, and my Achilles reared its ugly head again, and I tore it again in the very first bounce of the, that game against Essendon against Simon Madden, and limped around for a while, and um, came off the ground, and that was me done for my career. My career was done. I never recovered. Were you still on the so, list? Um, were you still on the list in '91, trying to get right, or was it? Yeah, '91 uh, and '92, '91 and '92. The club were very patient. Probably felt a little bit responsible, but I didn't blame them for anything because you know I was just like I said, I had five operations. One of them was in Melbourne, four in Perth. None of them sort of got the result that I was hoping for, so they were patient. I was on the injured list of all of '91, '92, so I witnessed the the loss. Losing grand final in 91, and then in 92, I chose not to go over in 92. I knew they'd win that, and I was in a pretty bad place uh, mentally at that stage, really fed up, and I, I knew they were going to win. I knew I couldn't fake being happy for them, and um, so I chose not to go over. I think I went over in an earlier final, and I did watch it at home. I, was, I wanted them to win, but I, I just knew I couldn't be elated when they did win. Because I was just in such bad, bad state. As, sound, as weird as that does sound, yeah. Did you feel a part of it, or did you feel like it was just a hole in your life? You weren't going to be able to feel, I guess. Not really, and that's that's quite a common, I believe. Other players have felt like that. Um, you know, I didn't feel part of it at all, and I wasn't part of it. You know, I, could, I couldn't even train. I was in the gym. I was. I was almost a gym junkie, 91, 92. I did a lot of weights. I was super strong, getting ready to come back. And I enjoyed weights and I was just, you know, doing all sorts of PBs for me, but um, I just couldn't get couldn't get out there. I tried so many times and broke down and back into surgery. And uh, no, I didn't I didn't feel part of it. And um, but I, you know, I had a lot of time for everybody that was at the club, of course. But and I think myself. Bill Scott and Adrian Barrich, we got delisted at the end of 92, which you know I saw coming and I was never going to play. And um, that was, yeah, that pretty much that was it. Was there at any stage during 91 and 92 where you had hope that you, feel, you felt like you might be able to put the heel behind you? Or was, was it always an uphill battle? It was always an uphill battle, but I was always hopeful. Um, you know, we tried various surgeries, various surgeons. I lost patience with the procedures over here and I insisted on going to Victoria thinking someone over there would be able to do something better. and It, it didn't work. In fact, it backfired, put me, put me back even further. So that was my uh, my own stubbornness that caused that. But I had full support with the Eagles. 
you know, the club doctors and the medicos and Nizzy and everybody were, were all trying their hardest for me and um, it just wasn't to be. And, um, yeah, I never, never, I came back belatedly for Subiaco a couple of times, under, once under Buccanaro, another one under Tony Solon, but I was done. I just couldn't, couldn't get it right and um, walked away from the club after, after the final time, yeah. How is it now? Are you able to exercise a fair bit or is it something you have to watch in case it flares up again? No, no, no. It recovered after a couple of years. I'm, I'm a great man called Jeff Ecker at the time, he, and he's still. I only saw him a few days ago. He um, he's an upper up, hand and upper limb specialist. He'd be well known to your listeners. And although Achilles, you couldn't get further away from a hand than my Achilles. Um, he, I went and saw him. I don't know why. Someone, I don't know how we got together, but someone said, "Go and see this guru," and I did. And I took all my scans, all my history, and he said he was going to America, and he would drop it on the drop it in front of some well-regarded people in America, which he promised to do, and did. And he came back and said, "Look, Laurie, every, everybody is just saying we've got to immobilise it, and you've got to put it in a cast." So we did that. We put it in a cast from my knee down to my toes, plaster cast, and as soon as soon as I did that. The pain went away, and I was hobbling around on, you know, with a moon boot and a cast. And I just really had to get off it. I was always on my feet. I was a surveyor by profession, and then I sold cars for a little while because I was so, so in so much trouble. And you know, even then, I was always on my feet, so I wasn't resting it. And 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 that's what I did. I I replaced the plaster cast with a big heavy duty plastic one that I could take off, and you know, every day and shower and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, that was the turning point of my life, as far as I was concerned. And I, to this day, I credit Jeff Hecker with saving my life because I was, a, I was in a really bad place at the time, and um, and he he was well aware of that, and he, we talk about it sometimes. Yeah, but um, no, it's good now, uh, Mark. I don't, I don't feel any pain. Um, in fact, I've had so many nerves cut down there deliberately that um, I can't feel anything. I have to mind it. I have to make sure that I don't get blisters because I can't feel them. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, it doesn't trouble me at all. Right? If, if everything else was okay, I'd be able to run and jump, but I, my back's buggered, so I can't do that either. <laughs> when did you When did you choose to move down south, Laurie? Uh, I bought the holiday home when I signed up with the Eagles. My wife at the time, Deanne, and I bought this home in 87. So they threw all this money at me. Graham threw all this money. Graham Moss threw all this money at me, and I bought here in the beginning of 87, but it was only a holiday home for all my footy career. And then I moved down after I divorced. And um, yeah, I can't remember exactly what year that was, but um, yeah, I've always wanted to, I always loved surfing. I've always felt that I was the the tallest surfer in the Southwest. (laughs) It's not a tall man's, not a tall man's sport surfing, but I've always enjoyed it. And um, Phil Scott, Andrew McNish, Ian Dargy, all my Subi teammates, they all surfed and they were great surfers and um but I I love surfing and uh, used to join them and have a go and um so I always wanted to live down here and and I moved down permanently. I've never regretted it. I love it. Do you follow the football closely still? Yeah, I love it. I really I didn't for a couple of years, like a lot of retirees. So you sort of you walk away from the game for a while, especially if you walk away unwillingly. Um but um, no, I really enjoy the football. I think I'm following West Coast Fortunes and and the Dockers. I'm, I, I like the Dockers a lot. 
I'm really disappointed they've fallen away. And obviously the Eagles aren't going too well. But um, yeah, I, I, I love watching three or four games of footy over the weekend. If they're good ones, absolutely. Do the the old Eagles, the foundation Eagles, do you get together much? Is there much of a rapport there given what you went through as pioneers? Um, well, they celebrated the 92... 1992 Premiership last year, wasn't it? Yeah, 30-year yep. anniversary. So I went up for that. I went sat in the box with all the 92 boys. I think I was the only non-player there. There is a rapport, even though I wasn't part of the team. I was in the squad, and they always treat me with respect, which is very, very nice. And I feel honoured to have you know, paved the way in 87 with a lot of the guys that missed out, you know, Roscoe Dinning and John Amir and all those guys. So I see quite a few of them down here. But um, Peter Wilson's down here. I um, caught up with him during the Mug River Pro a week or so ago. And um, there's a few, a few Andrew McNish and Ian Doug and all those guys that are up in yelling up way. So um, we do catch up from time to time. Yeah. Laurie, you were one of my favourite players from the early days at West Coast. Congratulations on your career. I think it ended a bit too soon for all of us with because of that heel problem, but certainly we did enjoy what we got to see of you and you were a massive influence in those Subiaco premierships in the late 1980s and that's something to be very proud of. Uh, well done and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for getting in touch and uh, I, I miss you on the uh, West. The West hasn't been as good a paper since you've left, but... Uh... Never mind. Um, I'm enjoying listening to you or your shows on SEN. I'll enjoy those interviews. They're fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you. Laurie Keane, this is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.